You're listening to. Hello, welcome to the seventy-seventh. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing spooky yep. ambient noise. Ooh. Welcome to the seventy-seventh episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Ooh. I am your spooky host, Marvin Yeth. Joining me as always, self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jessica Jew. Just Jew on the grudge. <laughs> Marvin, what's your spooky handle for this season? I have not um, changed my handle yet because of laziness and just I don't. How do you make Marvin spooky? I mean, it's a pretty starv- spooky name. Starvin Marvin to death. How about? That's too uh, dark, isn't it? No, too dark. What are you talking about? The darker, the better. It is the season. Yeah. Before uh, I had like Marvin. Yeah. But that was like, I feel like that's just making fun of my last name. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll think on it. Okay. (laughs) Reader, uh, listeners, if you have an idea for Marvin's spooky name. Also joining us, professional culture editor, Han Wynn. That is, let the right Han in. Oh, spooky! What a deep cut! Is look, we mentioned this version, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. We mentioned this last spooky season that that was the one of the movies I recommended, and it's I still stand by it. It's a great movie, (sighs) man. It is Thursday, October the fourteenth, twenty twenty-one. We are in week two of Spooky Month. Um, also week two of bad art friend discourse because holy crap we're still talking about it no i'm not i refuse <laughs> no no it's over <laughs> next next <laughs> i just read a um article saying we're missing the point the real story of bad art friend is the whole kidney thing well apparently well to the one preface i will say which i was very entertained about is apparently she sent kidney lady sent a whole like email to the new york times magazine about all the things they got wrong and they just published the email like as is i was like okay yeah that was a flex uh it's like really the petty olympics man i i (laughs) part of me really appreciates like everyone sinking down to my level but also i'm like oh i'm not taking this on anymore you know i know we talked about how squid game is going to be the hot um halloween costume of the year because a it's easy and b it's like the cultural zeitgeist but if mm-hmm. you were to conceptually make a bad art friend halloween costume what would it look like just a, a sandwich board that says ask me about my kidney donation or or you know <laughs> like you remember like those like cardboard cutouts which i think are like cop-out mm. costumes but anyways yeah. you have a facebook profile but it's like the group face private group where you're like <laughs> right. i donated a kidney please yeah. ask me about it kindly and yeah up. and i mean i guess if you're the other person you could I don't know who, how you dress up as <laughs> Larson. I don't know. Anyway. Anyways. Discourse. Yeah, I'm it's it's gotten out of hand. Now, like, people are talking about, but how Asian is... Oh, um, no, Sonya no, Larson? we're not no. doing that today, No one. Satan. No, we are Absolutely not. <laughs> not. No. No, Every, no, no. Bad. Bad. Uh, <laughs> anyways, we're not here to talk about bad art, friend. We are here to talk about something... A little more good art um, friends yeah maybe the best art friends the muppets <laughs> marvin the muppets yeah. we've decided to take it easy this week we're gonna watch something that'll bring us joy and that is the latest halloween special from disney plus uh muppets haunted mansion but before we join gonzo and crew on their um spooky adventure let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through the week um uh, let's start with uh let's do jess what's popping 
Oh, it's been very busy work-wise. There's been a lot, you know, in the zeitgeist that I don't really want to take on. So in stressful times, I turn to one of my comfort watches. It is the furthest thing from Asian being a professional Asian you can get. I watch Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice from <laughs> 2005, starring Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden, a.k.a. Tom from Secession, but he will always be Mr. Darcy to me. Mm-hmm. There is nary a person of color in sight. It's very British. It's very Regency, very subdued, and I fuck with it. It's so good, though. It's like, so good. And I can't even articulate yeah. why I like it so much. Well, there's a there's a reason why Jane Austen create you know like launched a genre because people tried to capture her magic, and she is so able to make you care about people just visiting each other's houses and talking to each other. Yeah, um, it's sexy as hell. <laughs> it's so fucked. The hot, the hand. Cl- oh my god! Like talk yeah. about written by a woman. Energy, Marvin. Do you know the discourse about the hand? Clinch? So <laughs> I have yet to fully watch a Pride and Prejudice proper. I have seen, and I've I've been on record seeing. I have watched Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the film from like too. a few years ago, but I have not seen either. Of the BBC series or the um, Keira Knightley uh, film, but have I have seen heard about Bride and this. Prejudice, I've seen the too. movie. Yes. It's quite fun. It's <laughs> I've quite watched fun. all the versions, um, but I have heard about this hand flex. In fact, yes. this hand flex is, has been used so to sell many of like a YA romance novel mm-hmm. about. If you enjoy this hand flex, you will enjoy this book. So I have seen it alluded to. But I have it's, not seen it in person or in action. So it's, I, I mean, it's, 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 it works. It just works. And mm. everyone in this movie is just beautiful. And like, it's lit beautifully. It's like very vibes. And then also like, it's really what I want to do right now, which is not work and visit people and just stay there for months at a time. That's like literally what their life is. I was like, oh, I would like that. So you mentioned this film is a formative experience in your in your upbringing, right, Jess? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of my comfort watches. This, I mean, I'm a child of the 90s, which means I hit my like prepubescence, <laughs> like young womanhood in the early 2000s. So like great absolutely great time for rom-coms geared towards young women or young adults so that was like the era of hillary duff and amanda Bynes. i hope she's doing well wherever she is i watched all that shit yeah like i (laughs) I, that is that is what i revert back to and honestly like i hope they get the recognition they deserve they are fantastic movies that were very structurally sound starring Mm -hmm. some very charming young actors who we do not give the same amount of power to anymore in pop culture i feel like right now right like they're scoffed at a lot but i mean like they were great and so like you know the legally blondes the um legally blonde what What a girl Girl wants Wants. i just watched that too (laughs) me too um Mm -hmm. They're all on like Netflix and Hulu mm-hmm. and right now they're, it's very easy to access them. I also own all of them on DVDs. I do think Pride and Prejudice is like the classy version of that where it is cool and like Oscar nominated. But at the root, it's really exploring the same themes and the same perspective. I, mean, of I would young love womanhood. to do like a- do you like uh, do you like Bridget Jones? 
I love Bridget Jones. Yeah. Okay, hot take. The third Bridget Jones is the best. Bridget it's Jones actually really good. It's really, really good. It's I was funny shocked. Fuck. I was shocked I liked it because I was like, when Emma I heard Thompson. there was a baby, I was like, yeah. Oh. And but it like, was great. But like the Colin Firth of it all, the Patrick Dempsey, like Bridget as an older, but still like the, all the pregnancy jokes are really, really funny. <laughs> There's Uh-oh. random Ed Sheeran. Like, it's so yeah. weird, but funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bridget yeah. Jones was a modern adaptation of Pride. It is Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Yes, yes. Re- is he also playing Darcy in this? Yes. yes. He is Mark it, Darcy. It's funny because in the book, Bridget Jones interviews Colin Firth. And then so I was just like, is she going to interview him? As Colin Firth in the book in the movie, but I don't think she did that. So it was just like so weird. Like, oh. yeah, it was good times. I know Pride and Prejudice is like a formative thing, and I know that every generation has its own. I guess this generation doesn't have theirs yet. Maybe Fire Island will be their Pride and Prejudice. Oh yes, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, because but- every young girl wants to think she's Elizabeth. Um, we're not that cool, but you know, like in your heart, you still want to be elizabeth and see yourself as the main character like elizabeth but do you all want a darcy want- hell yes marvin yes. i like darcy. yes 100 yes. percent. yes yes and darcy's can come in different forms but yes we all want a darcy we all want a hot this is also why my favorite trope is enemies the lovers mm-hmm. they're there's witty a- repartee yeah there's a spark and he got there. money mm. <laughs> and Han, he got money i had to ask is your darcy matthew or colin oh you know, it's that's an interesting question because you know, like how everyone has like a James Bond or everyone has a Doctor Who, and I don't know if I have a Darcy because I think I read the book so early on that I had a just a generalized picture in my mind, so everyone else fits. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I did think- watch the Colin Firth all throughout one one Thanksgiving, and that was my solo Thanksgiving and the best Thanksgiving ever <laughs> was the six part uh, miniseries. Mm. I think it was six part. I think we need like a Colin Firth series eventually because I just realized, you know, the common thread is like Colin Firth, including What a Girl Wants, where he plays Amanda Bynes' dad. And I'm just like, I was rewatching it as well. And I was like, there's a lot of like really good talent in this. Like Jonathan Price is in this movie. What a Girl Wants is probably my first Colin Firth experience. And he's hot in a daddy, like daddy, (laughs) literal daddy. Um, yeah, I think he's yeah. great in Bridget Jones. Um, and yeah. then, you know, he's going to be in this upcoming series murder mystery, like weird British show with like a lot of other hot people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all like. Solving mysteries. Oh, my brain's not working right now, but I think yeah. I know. What Do you know what I'm talking about? about? Like, yeah. I don't. <laughs> it just. Oh, anyway, well, we'll, we'll get back to that. Like, we'll yeah, <laughs> um, but. Good times, you know, comfort watch. I think at this point I should just buy it in some mm-hmm. digital format so I can own it. They keep taking it. It used to be on Netflix and then they took it Where off. Where is it now? I, there's nowhere you had to buy it you or had to rent buy it? it. Oh. Yeah. Weird. So I actually rented it because I was that desperate. I was like, I need to feel something positive <laughs> <laughs> this week. Um, and then also, fun fact, Han, I just Googled this. His ex girlfriend was. Jennifer Tilly, so it all tracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should have gone for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh well, one of these days we're gonna do a um, pop culture gap, so I can finally watch one of these series. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, um, you know what we can do is when we watch Fire Island, we can do like another episode just on Pride and Prejudice and its various incarnations. Oh, yeah, I like that. Topic. Great, I like that. <laughs> all right, Han, what's popping with you? 
Um, oddly enough, I also rewatched a Kira Knightley movie. Um, I quite like a lot of her movies, actually, when I think about it. Um, the the songwriting one I also like. But um, I happened to watch, watch Bend It Like Beckham. Which mm-hmm. is a uh, which will be turned twenty next year, and one, one of the main reasons why uh, my friend uh, and I were talking about Ted Lasso, which, if you don't know, <laughs> is an Apple TV show about an American football coach who gets hired to be a soccer coach to a Premier League soccer team in England, um, and it's and it's very like heartwarming. But there's also talk about mental health and stuff like that. So anyway, um, my friend and I were talking about how. There's just not enough good soccer in the actual show. And I get it. A lot of TV shows use sports as a metaphor. But even like other sports shows have more sports in them and focus on the character, the actual players more than this does. This one focuses on the coaches and the other people around them. There's like really only one player you kind of follow around. And I think that's just bizarre. So and also as a soccer player myself, um, Former, let's say I know <laughs> I will. I probably won't ever play again. Um, I was just kind of pissed because I was like, every time I think we might America might get an in, like might finally understand soccer. Like this is the chance. This is literally an American in England learning soccer, and no, there's not enough soccer. So we were talking about Bennett like Beckham, and we were just like, oh my god, this would be so great if they made it, like adapted it for TV as a TV show. In fact, and then you could have not only more soccer, but it would be focused on women and uh, women of color, especially because that was the other thing about Ted Lasso. It's like all the best roles are you know given to the white people. And so um, so she actually ended up writing that story. Um, but I was just like, I kind of want to watch that again and remind myself it was how good it was or if it was like problematic. And um, most of it held up, I got to say. Uh it just the, the lead uh Parminder Nagra is so charming um and also since it is written by a woman of south asian descent she also Gurinder Chadra um she, you know there are certain beats that are like maybe like pressed a little hard but other times it's kind of like just so refreshing to see that being said um because basically the main um, character Jess wants to play soccer, but you know that's not that's not ladylike. She's too brown, and the whole colorism thing. I was just like, yes, they do not want you dark. Um, and uh, just there's that her sister, you know, is getting married, and they're talking about possibly like setting her up, and like all this stuff about you know it's those it, yes, it's a little bit east, east, west kind of like old school, but um. I still think it plays well. And um, there are other things that were maybe slightly problematic that I was like, mm, okay, maybe in retrospect <laughs> in 20 years later. But, you know, they can update that for the TV show. I mean, for a film that was made 20 years ago, it's still a very um, important film, yeah. especially in Asian American film history, right? Because it was like one of the first big films <laughs> to make it into Sundance, right? It came out, mm-hmm. wasn't the same year as um, Barrel of Tomorrow or 2002? A little so, bit later, yeah. Or maybe it came out Sundance earlier, and then it was released in 2002 in the States, maybe. Mm. Uh, yes. I, I got my dates. So, also, yeah. I mean, 
early Archie Punjabi yes. as her sister, early Jonathan Reese Myers before he got too crazy in the eyes. Yeah. Let's not let's not uh, let's not delve into is it appropriate for a grown soccer coach mm-hmm. to be hitting on a teenager? <laughs> that, that is number one the thing. Well, like also, was she a teenager? I couldn't tell. She was 18, I think, but definitely like okay. still in high school because they were gonna go to college, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. Still yeah. A so sketch, I but was, he was hot. I guess what it still is a little criminal that this film is seen as Kieran Knightley's breakout role. Oh yeah, uh, when well, it's because, so full of like because racism, <laughs> Marvin. Yeah, I, I I thought about that too because I think it was also because I looked up all of their ages because I I you know the way it looks. I mean, I could tell Kieran Knightley was young just because she was so super skinny. Like she's always slender, but this was like showing off her abs skinny. So I was just like. You're young because when you're that young, you don't have to try. I mean, it's also and how then, they marketed it because I, growing up, I, I didn't know that Brendan Light Beckham's main character was a Desi oh woman God. until like when I actually yeah. saw the film because I always thought yeah. it was Kira Knightley's film because of how they like put her front and center on everything. So I looked at all of their ages, and at the time, and and Parmenden Nagra does look like the youngest because she's short. Like one of the reasons why I love the movie so much was because she her build reminded me of my own when I was a soccer player, which was basically straight with a pony, low ponytail and then like shin guards that were like too, too big. So um, yeah, it turned out she was two years older than Jonathan Reese Myers. And then she was maybe uh, seven or eight years older than Kara Knightley. I think she's <laughs> 10 years older than Kara Knightley. Or, Oh, significant. Like something like insane. Yeah. 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 So I was she was like seven. Kieran Knightley was like 17 when she filmed this. I mean, yeah. really you know, young. Yeah. Asians so, don't raise in. Like, yeah. like so, you know, Keiko Gaina and Gilmore Girls, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And also just being short helps and having round cheeks. Um, <laughs> so, but anyway, um, so that's what's popping with me. How about you, Marvin? Yeah. So um, Han brought up the Hulu series Only Murders in the Building a couple weeks ago, and I finally decided to start watching it. Um, this past weekend. And so um, to catch everyone up, Only Murders in the Building is a murder mystery show about a murder that happens in this like really old residential luxury um, building in New York. I don't know if they have a name for those. Is there a specific name for those types of buildings? Oh, yes, there's um, there's a lot. There's there. They you know, if you live in a building with a name, it's fancy. I mean, uh, is there a, a name sim- for like the type, like those types of that buildings? genre? Yeah. Of oh, um, like oh, I mm, no, like co-op. Are they co-ops? I don't. <laughs> it's know. a very that's New York thing. Fancy rich lives- Basically, it's called the Arconia. Yeah. It's where a lot of rich, like you know, it's a building for the wealthy. It's the type of New York lodging that people dream about when they move to New York, but mm-hmm. never actually get to live in because New York housing is is you know expensive and hard. Yeah, it has. It's gorgeous architecture <laughs> lovely like detailing um yeah. yeah um so these three neighbors played by steve martin um martin short and selena gomez um team up to try to solve this mystery and all three are fans of true crime podcasts and in the process start their own true crime podcast so that's <laughs> while the, solving it yeah <laughs> while actively solving a murder so that's the general gist of things and you know as it, the the murder mystery itself is really interesting and every week you find some new uh twists to add to the intrigue and the drama based on everyone's history with the building as well as with the victim i do want to bring up as a professional podcast producer yes. this <laughs> 
this series is a little it's not triggering to the point where i'm feeling uncomfortable but i am like rolling my eyes so hard at like and i think they do do this on purpose because yeah. these three are obviously not professional podcast producers but as someone who works in the podcast space i've met and talked to and seen people like the martin short character like the Steve mm-hmm. martin character who think because like that's the thing with podcasts where everyone thinks they can start a podcast but not yeah. everyone can you know really do it or to do it well, you have to, you know, prepare and, you know, be organized, which these three are not, especially, <laughs> you know, the two of them, Steve Martin and Martin are both play characters who are pretty much fading people from the arts who are trying to recapture their former glory and are feeling desperate about it. Yeah. So Martin Short is a former Broadway producer, so he feels like that's why he can direct and um and and sort of like craft this podcast and what when i say craft it's just like throwing everything at it and then steve martin is the main narrator because he used to be an actor on a tv show um so selena gomez is just like yeah you do whatever i'll just do investigating <laughs> so she's the so most she, compelling character right now i'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to has, seeing her yeah. parts because she's actually solving the mystery whereas the other two are kind of bumbling Doing around how far are you how far are you i am uh i just finished season, uh, episode four Okay. So. Catch up, catch up soon. I'm just telling you because this, uh, the penultimate episode is uh, airing tomorrow or streaming tomorrow, mm. and then the finale is next week. So you might be spoiled if you don't catch yeah, up. Yeah, really you gotta early. catch up. You gotta catch up. Um, I'm watching it with my partner, so we're kind of you know I need to okay. go at her pace. I, I would just say stay off the internet for a week um, <laughs> because by the time the finale comes, you may be spoiled then. Um, wow. So you should catch up hopefully soon um one other thing i do have to say this is the story like i'm off work this week but next week i'm back and there's a story i'm preparing for the finale like pre-finale which is um about the main title sequence which do you uh agree with me marvin that is kind of awesome it's amazing yeah it's it's basically it- an animated sequence that shows that sort of foregrounds the Arconia, but also shows the neighbors in their windows, which is kind of how like you are dealing with each of them as far as like showing their personalities. And that's how you know your neighbors in New York. Um, but then the music is amazing. And every episode actually has a tiny little Easter egg in the opening sequence, which really? I am, th- that is what I'm writing about partially. I need to check that um, out. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is done in like, it's like an animated style, but the art style is done like kind of like, like a New Yorker, Yorker mm-hmm. cover. Right. Yes. And, I also think it's just uh, it's structured very well. The way they tell the story is really interesting. Like it could have been a very, like yeah, I feel like it could be very formulaic. But you know, the the reveals in each episode are it's, really really fun. It's it's such a well crafted show. I think part of it, uh, Steve Martin is like a decent writer, but I have seen him kind of being loosey goosey. Whereas I think this is you're right. It's super well structured. Not only is every episode from a different person's point of view but they definitely the reveals kind of creates a different sort of beat for every episode and um and it's just funny like genuinely funny it's and engaging. funny a lot kind of cringy sometimes like yeah. especially the podcast parts for me because like when steve martin's narrating into the microphone playing his accordion or whatever i'm like that's not how you add music Concertina. to a podcast yeah <laughs> that's yeah. not oh, how you no. add a music every Everything is so ridiculously silly, but I love how they embrace how bad it is because you haven't gotten to them um, actually meeting Cinda Canning. Have you? Canning? Have you? Um, no, I did meet. They, they met. So they Tina Fey plays like the Sarah Chronic. 
analog yeah. in this world. And I guess it, she is perfectly cast, even though yes. we're still iffy on her, right? Oh, yeah. We're still. <laughs> I, I'm, I, but I'm okay. Yes, I'm iffy on her, but I'm okay with her being someone who's insufferable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. And I do love that this new, the New York that they portray is a very diverse New York, where their neighbors are mm-hmm. of you no know, different backgrounds and colors. And we, we're not in this like fantasy friends world where everyone's somehow white, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think it's a great satirical, especially now. And, um, you know, I think we're like maybe in the third, fourth wave of like true crime mm-hmm. <laughs> podcasts or content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the ethics of that are starting to be questioned. Mm-hmm. And this is a, this is right definitely way. satirizing that um, yeah. and and calling to attention some of these questions we have, which is I feel like I feel like I feel I feel very validated because I mm-hmm. have been saying this from the very beginning. Like I refuse to listen to cereal when it was like the hot shit. I was like, mm-hmm. and I, I hate every single true crime personality based podcast. Yeah. Like I hate them. I also stand them. I'm just personally not into true crime when it comes to murder. I know people love their murder shows. I only like true crime when it's scams and um and, <laughs> and, and bloodless things. When Maybe. the victim is still alive to tell their own story, yeah. scams, I will give art, it the grace. Yeah. yeah. Scams, but, art heists, you know, those are those are fine with me. Yeah. But yeah. And so because this the reason why, and it's just a personal choice, of course, for me, is just like it does feel like since entertainment, you know, is amplifying things it feels like exploiting these deaths in my mind and the show does sort of talk about that because yeah. this person just lived in our building are we exploiting his death you know for these like listeners and uh and i was just like yeah and so like we just saw yes. this yeah yes, and we just are. saw this with gabby petito with like when it yeah. comes to like tiktokers so um yeah, yeah. I, I think it's worthy. And I think that's why it's so successful. Because when you're talking about iterations of how we deal with true crime, this is the ultimate way of like really looking at it. And but, you know, in a nice and approachable way. And I will say um, from everything I have heard in the behind the scenes and the interactions with Steve Martin, um, Martin Shore and Selena Gomez, they are very cute together, like as a trio. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it'd be very easy for uh, Martin Shore or Steve Martin to kind of suck up all the air, given their status, both in the entertainment world and as like more, you know, white men. Mm -hmm. Um, They are very like them and Selena Gomez are like real good. They seem like real good friends. Like they just hang out on set. They... She's reading the WAP lyrics to them. I feel it's, like it's very true. I feel like, like the sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah, I feel like of the old guard SNL alums, those two seem to be probably the most pleasant ones to work with. I think Martin Short, I've always known that. I've always had doubts about Steve Martin just because he was so in the stratosphere as far as like popularity. So I'm glad um that that is bearing out. I think their chemistry um in real life is why all three characters are have such a good sort of friendship even though they're sort of like doubting each other and stuff like that. Like they each have equal like um sort of like time on screen and even the jokes are usually made at the expense of the men if you notice. Like <laughs> never her uh, they're always talking about how they're old and how they're not getting things. Yeah, the scenes where they're trying to figure out how to text is <laughs> it's so pretty great. good. It's beautiful. And I was just like, you know what, Mar- uh, Steve Martin, I think I like Steve Martin uh, because he also co-wrote this with someone else. It's like, I think I like him as a co-writer, but also in his older age. I think there was a sort of a, maybe like I'm so full of myself when I was younger sort of thing when I saw certain 
plots that he written I felt like were very pretentious and so <laughs> I think now I think it's kind of like settled into a way that he's poking fun of itself and it's very yes clear he definitely went through like a pretentious like art ho phase you know <laughs> like he's like I'm doing prestige indies and writing like very small musicals and I'm like a published author like and I feel like Steve Martin you're Steve Martin get back on TV like <laughs> it's what you're good at like don't act like you better than this. I liked yeah. LA Story. That was in some similar vein, but it was also very much a Los Angeles story. And this is very much a New York one. So I like his sense of place uh, too. Yeah. Marvin, when are you going to do your true crime podcast where you kill or commit a crime to make your own podcast about it? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I don't know. True crime podcast just seems so. I mean, that's the thing. It seems they seem very like if you want to do it well, it takes a lot of work, and we had to investigate it. But then, I mean, these yeah. guys on the show are doing it just by you know, farting it out. So maybe maybe it's yeah. time to do a true crime podcast. That, that I mean, is the um, yeah. that's the uh, good pop method. Um, <laughs> farting, maybe yeah, the farting out the good pop method. Maybe <laughs> right. lactose. Stay tuned. True crime, <laughs> good pop, true crime, the good 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 crime, the good crime podcast. Um, where we where basically it's only we spend an exorbitant amount of time and energy um trying to seek revenge on people we think have slighted us in <laughs> no. that's that's the podcast it's, good crimes good at crimes. that point it's just a bad art friend podcast then oh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bathcast coming soon from good pop <sighs> all right That'll do it for this edition of What's Poppin'. Uh, when we come back, we're talking about Muppets Haunted Mansion. Stick around. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. Welcome, foolish mortal, to the Good Pop Culture Club. I am your host, your ghost host. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that was pretty good, Marvin. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I had to look up Haunted Mansion script for that bit. I hope you. You mean you don't remember it off the top of your head? <laughs> You're not, not a Disney adult. Maybe the scariest you know, being in existence. Before I started dating my partner, I had not gone to Disneyland in over 20 years. So <laughs> I cannot say oh, that okay. I am a Disney. Okay. I am quite well versed in the Disney. I wouldn't say I'm a Disney adult, but I am like a Disney hobbyist. <laughs> um, so I really, really enjoyed this. There was a lot of uh, great kind of tie-in callback Easter eggs of the classic Haunted Mansion ride. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we are talking about Muppets Haunted Mansion, the Halloween special that just premiered on Disney+. Plus. It is the Muppets' first Halloween special, believe it or not. And yeah, um, I guess we'll get right into it. What did we all think about Muppets Haunted Mansion? It was really cute. I liked it. Um, <laughs> I I'm not gonna lie. I think the it's it's cheap, but it worked every time. <laughs> Any Pepe the Prawn joke just like 
did it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if it's typical to not focus on Kermit. Like, like, are there other movies that I've not gone through the whole pantheon? Um, so obviously this is based on Gonzo. This is centered around Gonzo and Pepe. Yeah. Their adventures in the haunted mansion. I mean, just you've only recently been converted to the Muppets mm-hmm. fandom, right? Mm-hmm. And and I get the gist. Usually, it is like Kermit and Piggy based, um, but I guess Kermit is too chill to be going through this haunted mansion storyline. I think um, it depends. So Muppets, Muppet media falls into two main genres right you have uh, the yes, muppet yes, muppet yes. shows like the satire of entertainment show business. Muppets, show business muppets and then you have like the theme muppets like muppet treasure island muppet christmas carol and i think yes. this falls under that too where it's like it's not your showbiz muppets it's like muppets it's theme existing muppets. in like the world right like yes. muppet treasure island was like it's still about jim what's his face little kid Hawkins. jim yeah Yes. But also, like, he interacts with Muppets. And, you know, yes. Christmas Carol is still all about Scrooge. I did see a theory on TikTok. They were like, Muppets usually need an, um, they, usually the emotional core of the Muppets, of, of, of a Muppets adaptation of a literary work. <laughs> the core relationship or the core, like, emotional arc are humans. So, you know, it is Jim and Long John Silver. It is still um, Scrooge, you know, right? Going through the journey. And then you kind of, plugging the Muppets around. So this is interesting because it is, you know, Muppet-centered. I guess Haunted Mansion doesn't come with a strict storyline, right? <laughs> there are obviously cues in the ride that they hit on all um, really well. <laughs> um, and, I mean, it's like a 52-minute special. It's really fun. It's obviously for Disney fans. I mean, that that horizontal integration. Good job, Bob Chapek. <laughs> Um, and it's it's I really love the songs in it. Some of the rhymes in the songs. Mm. I was just like, this is ridiculous. I think she rhymes bat and exat. Exat. Instead of exat. Exit. And there's something like memento mori with something mm-hmm. story. I was like, this is great. This is great. <laughs> what more can you ask for? And of course, there's a heartfelt message at the center of it. Yes. Yeah. That was sneaky. They sneaked it in in the last moment, but I yeah. mean, it's it's for kids, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My question look, is, who is your f- favorite human cameo? So it was kind of sad, but like we saw Ed Asner, and Ed Asner was playing a dead guy, and I was just like, oh, and he just died. I mean, yeah. he didn't know he was going to be dead when he. It was his film. last role. Yeah. No, but that's actually what makes it poignant for us, the old <laughs> people who are watching it, because like the kids aren't going to know. Um, so like I don't know if he was my f- favorite. Um. There were actually quite a few that I didn't recognize until I saw yeah, the credits. <laughs> I will say there are a lot of really great cameos here. And I was thinking, what a waste to like, because a, a lot of them were only of them. there for one gag, which is a Muppet thing to have. Like, it is a 52 yeah. minute special, Marvin. <laughs> what, like, what do we want? What do we want? They, you, they, you get Darren Chris. He sings a song. That's great. But you know what? Darren Chris, like th- that's actually well worth it. Um, yeah. I think I think my issue was like, I get it. Like. It's easy and any celebrity is lucky to be in a Muppet thing. They're probably having the time of their lives there. So like I can see how they can get basically anyone they want. But yeah, there are a few of them where because this is a a haunted house, um, a lot of them are playing dead people. And sometimes when they're or they're playing like statues or busts of, you know, heads. And sometimes when they're all white, it's actually 
unrecognizable. So when I saw the credits, I was just like, that was that person? <laughs> um, some of them you can tell, like Danny Trejo still has the mustache, even if he's like, if it's powdered with flour. Um, so, uh, I mean, you know, I've got to give Will Arnett is the main host. He's the butler slash host and a special surprise there with his character. But um, he, he does a decent job. I always think it's interesting when you have someone who is interacting with the Muppets so much and like they also have to play very uh heightened characters themselves and so i'm like i gotta give him some credit for like doing that pretty well will arnett is in enlightened choice just because he has that voice right yeah the deep voice and the the magician callback right that's (laughs) that's a little joke for the adults there all the fucking puns man like muppets always gives me puns but they did a really good job here i think for a lot of them um, it's a bread and butter, sight gags and puns. The MacGuffin and the red fish, the red herring. <laughs> just like, love it, love so it. Good. Yeah, I, I, and the, and I like when puns also have a theme. And so, of course, here it was mainly macabre puns. So a lot of good things about death. And uh, yeah, it was it was really great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's dumb pun humor, but also pretty dark pun humor, which was great. Too. It was strangely dark because I but was thinking that's... as oh, no, yeah. But, yeah. I, I, as a kid, I might have actually been a little bit scared of this because visually, I think they actually did a really good job of making a haunted house, even if it's full of Muppets, feel still pretty real. Um, I mean, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Can we just take a beat to appreciate that sentence? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Uh, I mean, they made me believe it. <laughs> macabre puns is basically the ride, right? The whole entire yes, yes. like concept of the haunted mansion is like sight gags and puns, just like the Muppets. Yeah, so, and then since the Muppet is layered on top of that, it really made me go back and forth. Either or I was laughing. Or I was like, oh, it's so cute because there's just like the one-eyed mummy who is so cute, but it's a Muppet. And and but then they had a Muppet goat who would scream. And actually, I found it kind of creepy. So <laughs> there are levels to this where I was just like, you really committed to whatever you were doing here. I mean, and I, I kept going back and forth. I, mean, I remember taking my, I think she was seven at the time, my niece to the haunted mansion. And she was honestly freaked out until we got onto those buggies. And yeah. then the ride oh, started, you know. When I was a I think it was I was nine when the first time I ever went to Disneyland. This was a trip to L.A. from Texas um, and the Haunted Mansion, the, like the rising you know, uh, walls and the the paintings becoming longer and longer. Creep the hell out of me. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Uh-uh. It's creepy. Like if as yeah. a kid, Haunted Mansion is pretty creepy for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I would close my eyes throughout the ride. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's really I, I really like the way they mashed up kind of the creepier parts of the ride or the line and then like you know just put the muppets in like very famously there are the statue or the bus in the line that follow you like their eyes follow you and then that just becomes mm-hmm. like beaker and um prof- what is honey honeydew yeah honeydew oh my god his name is honeydew yeah so mm-hmm. the, you know and they're just like yeah we only get this small little cameo like it's great it's great well, and then Statler and Waldorf, of course, they still are fantastic. I mean, I always just marveled at the fact that like for kids, well, it's also for adults, like they made two crotchety old men like super popular and they are enduring today. I love it. I mean, and they, cross- can say, they can say surly things. Crotchety old men are funny. What can I say? 
um, this special does uh, center on Gonzo. And to answer your question from the top of this segment, um, Gonzo, I think the last time we focused on Gonzo was actually Muppets in Space, which is like... Yeah. Uh, That's a deep cut. I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> so Muppets in Space, the the concept is that Gonzo is a character as a Muppet. They never specifically say what he is. The Muppets in Space answers that question. <laughs> Where is he from? <laughs> Gonzo's origin story. Yeah. They they did all, you know, for 52 minutes, they really got everything that people love about the ride in there. It was very impressive. Um, And then I think, to, I think the biggest tonal shift is the bride, right? Played by Taraji P. Henson, who has to like, you know, she's, it's actually very, I think that's the creepiest room mm-hmm. in the ride. And then, you know, they turn into a big joke. She's like, you're the sixth love of my life. And like all the, her ex-husbands are out. <laughs> and the fact that it's like Pepe, who she is trying to marry, is just fantastic. And he is just so, I wonder if this will work on real men. Marvin, you tell me. If I just call you like my big king prawn, would you just be like <laughs> flustered? Like, is that, an, is that an effective way to flirt? I'm, I'm asking you as a straight man. Say, say if your girlfriend, you just met your girlfriend and she comes up to you, she's like, you, you are such a king prawn. I mean, I'm I'm feeling all flush right now. So obviously something, something's there. I was so confused because I thought she just had halitosis. Uh, Because every time she would just say prawn and he would like, and then there'd be wavy lines and he'd be, and he'd faint. You know, it might have been a callback to another Arrested Development joke where Job Mm. reads the menu to um, Liza Minnelli's character. In cream oh, sauce. Perhaps. I mean, the power of seduction, who's to know? Like, I mean, yeah. also Siraji P. Henson, so Pepe would, yes. should be so lucky. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, you know, in one song, we're getting all the storylines of the, the the gravestones in the front of the line, in front of the ride. Um, that's where we get all these celebrity cameos. That's great. We're getting the, you know, Fozzie there is famous, is the hat. Fox uh, <laughs> ghost, which is like very famous in the lore of this ride and very famous, infamously like the most difficult effect that they could not figure out until like very recently. Um, yeah, I watch a lot of Disney behind the scenes things. Don't ask me why. And, um, you know, we get the speech with the we get the speech. Will Arnett does the speech when the elevator goes down. Uh, we get the very iconic ghost dancing scene. We get the candlestick scene, which was kind of scary because he mm-hmm. just like vanishes. You know, the, my favorite gag of this entire special was the um, technical difficulties scene. <laughs> the the yeah, the doom buggy is stuck. Yeah, please. and I think yes, I want to say they use the exact clip oh, from the to. ride, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to say, have you ever been on the ride when it broke down and you had to yes. hear that? A hundred percent. I got stuck on that for like 30 minutes once. Like, I, have, I have a story about this. Like, So I went to Disney World in Orlando uh, in high school and we were on the Haunted Mansion right after not, me and my friend went on the Haunted Mansion right after each eating a turkey leg. So we were like mm-hmm. stopped. And so the ride broke down as we were ascending the stairs. So we were broken down in like a reclining position and it was nice. I think I fell asleep for a second. Oh, yeah, that's the best. It's air conditioned. It's roomy. Um, it's dark. It's great nap ride. And then uh, you just you just hope you don't get stuck in front of one of the popping like skeletons in the graveyard because it's just it's not scary because you can hear the hydraulics. It's just a little annoying. You're like trying to rest. And you go you're like every few minutes, every two minutes. Um, 
I hope they, I mean, I think it's better than the Eddie Murphy movie Haunted Mansion. <laughs> oh, God. I haven't seen it, so I'll take your word for it because I'm not going to try that one. <laughs> yeah. It actually, that movie was actually, I think, ahead of its time. Mm. Um, it was like totally panned, but it was definitely ahead of its time because they were like, I don't think they, I don't think Disney would be brave enough to make this movie now because it was literally about racism. Okay. I would actually, I would, I would recommend you want, you check it out. It, okay, it's, maybe maybe it's better now, but I think like after the pirates trend, speaking of Keira Knightley, they were mm-hmm. really trying to like write, you know, moveify every ride, and then uh, Haunted Mansion really put a stop to that because it did not do well. I mean, yeah, I think because the Haunted Mansion works best as like a Halloween movie, not as like a horror movie, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yes, yes, we should definitely specify Halloween versus <laughs> horror. Totally different. <laughs> but I feel like if they were to remake it now, because like, you know, Jungle Cruise did pretty well. Haunted Mansion is probably their most famous property that hasn't been movified successfully yet. It hasn't been movified, but not successfully. I mean, if they'd make it now, would, will they lean into more of the horror tropes of Haunted Mansion or keep it campy? I feel like you got to keep it campy, mm-hmm. though. Like there's that's what people love about the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting, I don't know. Again, my Disney hobbyist, not adult, Disney hobbyist coming out. The ride or the story is different at each park. Oh. They make it content and cultural specific. So the Paris one is absolutely fucking scary. Because mm. they're like, I again, and I watch a lot of specials. They said that you can't impress the French or European audience <laughs> with something that's only a hundred years old. They literally <laughs> live, work, and like mm-hmm. exist in cities that are centuries old, right? So you have to change the story. And so they actually, I think, is that the, I think that's the one where they actually set it in the American West. Oh. And like, there's a graveyard scene. It's really fucking scary. It's like, it's like mo- way more gnarly than the, um, that the American Haunted Mansion. And I went on it alone. And I was like, I am very uncomfortable right now. Man, those mm. Europeans, they're hardcore. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I could also see a universe where it's like limited series and they do a version for each version of the Haunted Mansion around the world. That would be interesting, like an anthology series, kind of like, uh, yeah. Like what they did with the Haunted, Haunted Hill, Haunted Mansion Hill, Haunted House. Also Haunted Hill. Also Haunted Hill. <laughs> one of those, the one Netflix, of those yeah. yeah. But like the Disney version, right? Because at the end of the day, it's Disney. They're not going to make like Saw 4 um, Haunted Mansion. Yeah. They're not going to make like, what's the what's the Ryan Reynolds one? The, the Amityville house or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it has to be campy and they lean into it. What better way than the Muppets? Yeah. I want them to Muppify other rides now. What would be um, your your top choice i i actually would love to see a um a muppets autopia it's just the muppets <laughs> in traffic for like an hour they're just driving from they're I, driving from santa I mean, monica to burbank just, during rush hour. isn't that just a muppet movie though that's the that's a road movie that's right? true that's true. i would that's i would true. watch that i think they would have some interesting storytelling there i want to yeah i want to see muppets la la land let's make that Oh my God! Yes, yes. I mean, that's the only version of La La Land I would accept. <laughs> can we get a Can we get a Muppets Indiana Jones? Like, I know, let's just cross the IPs, man. Like, <laughs> I was thinking about 
what's the Star Wars thing there? Like, what's the Muppet Star Wars? I don't know. Is Yoda a Muppet? We can start from there. I mean, if we're talking about a Henson creation. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's like a specific um, like definition. Well, um, I mean, it's they, a school. Yeah. <laughs> so my friend, actually, I know someone who actually works in like kids space and has a expressed interest in puppets. And she says she can always tell when someone comes from the Jim Henson school because the way they puppet, you know, mm-hmm. there's a theory. It's a workshop. It's... um. You know, it's like a school of practice. So she she can tell when a puppeteer has been in, has learned from the Muppets. They like, they move a certain way. They teach your puppets, puppeteers to puppet a certain way. I also went to the Puppet Museum in Atlanta. It's very fun. Um, saw a lot of the Muppets and stuff. And it is like, gnar- like, dude, puppeteering is so physical. It is so physical. And I was like, how do you not like have carpal tunnel or like, a shitty back after doing this for like hours a day for years, you know? That's why they it's need crazy. health insurance. Right? Yeah. There's literally like a special dolly they built where you lay on it so you can pop it and people can like roll you around. Wow. That's love cool. it. Production value. Snuffleupagus was in like the closet. Mm. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to wrap up our discussion, is Muppets Haunted Imagine good pop? Totally. You can safely and happily watch this with your kids for Halloween throughout all of October, and which is why they probably released it pretty early. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fun. I mean, obviously not like reinventing thing. You could be cynical and say it's like Disney Mouse Overlords, like, you know, consuming us all. But I'm not going to say that because the Muppets are delightful. Mm-hmm. And it is especially for kids like me when i grew when i was growing up and to this day i do not like scary things <laughs> i was a very scaredy cat i have an overactive imagination and like watching a horror movie will like keep me up for two weeks straight so i always felt like there was a part of halloween i could not engage with so i really like movies that are about like the fun parts of the holiday spooky holiday mm-hmm. instead of like the like grotesque or scary or like horror parts mm-hmm. so more of that is great i love it yeah. Make them for the kids. Make them for almost 30-year-old me, please. I mean, technically, I think ho- this is more Halloween than horror movies. Horror movies you can watch anytime. They're not like specifically linked to this holiday about macabre things. But Halloween media, I think, tend to lean towards family stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, since Halloween is a commercialized holiday where you get kids walking around asking for candy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think when you like hit an adult, when you become an adult, like when you, once you become like a older teen and beyond and definitely in college like halloween becomes like you're not really socially allowed to participate in like the candy part like people if i went trick-or-treating without a kid like everyone just look at me like i'm a freak i'm like why like i want i just want the candy i want the cute dress up and the candy part mm-hmm. uh i feel like as adult halloween can get a little if you're not into like you know if you don't have like a built-in group of friends who are also enjoying this it becomes about like the drinking or the partying and like i just i can't do that it's like it's an expensive holiday to go out on like it's kind of yeah depending on the year or where you are it can be really cold but then there's like this pressure to just like kind of like a hoe and hoes don't get cold which i'm all for like i want to dress like a hoe but then like sometimes that shit's just hard <laughs> and then you need to go around like dress like a sexy 
I was a sexy hamburger one hamburger <laughs> one year. It actually was a great costume. I could and I see had that burgers, and I passed it out. It was really That's fun. <laughs> but like, it, it's actually a really hard holiday to celebrate if you don't have like a crew that also feels yeah. similarly. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like not, that would yeah. be that would be similar, like with Squid Game, because like we were talking about it, like having a bunch of Asian friends all dressing up in the outfit would be fantastic. But just me alone. With my cats. Yeah. Mm. And I'm telling you, like, the older you are, <laughs> just... the harder it is to, like, corral adults to be in the same time and place and do one thing. Like, it just yeah. gets harder. Without it being a drinky thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, without it. So it's just like, I, I, I want it to be socially acceptable for me, a single person adult, to go trick-or-treating yeah. in the streets with no children. <laughs> Yeah. I'm also kind of like, you know, happy for the kids today and kids. I mean, like the young adults, but like, you know, growing up, we didn't have any like characters from like media to dress up as. You just have to be like the Asian version of whatever. Oh, right? yeah. like, I, I don't know how really many hard. I don't know how many times I was Wednesday Adams, you know, like just because the dark hair and braids. the dark like, hair. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wigs are annoying. I don't want to wear a wig. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, oh, like now kids today, you got so much to choose from. Mm-hmm. Like. There's there's a there's a wealth a bigger wealth of options. Uh yeah. So lucky. Yeah. Happy for y'all. I think I, I was I, a Ninja Turtle a couple years in a row. Uh I was a job. I was Mulan like four years in a row, bro. <laughs> I here's here's how bad it was for me. Um I was short round and oh, my yes. and my boyfriend was Indiana Jones. <laughs> So uh that was his college. This is the white guy. Um so he That's looked all right. Worse. And I even looked <laughs> Okay, you should have just been Marion Ravenwood. Like, what? I, I'm convinced now that short round, yeah, like when you talk about the dearth of like opportunities and characters, you know, yeah, uh, especially if you're a woman, yeah, um, and if you're trying to do a couple's costume, you end up being the thing, yes, in the couple. So you literally objectify yourself because you're like, I got no other options. Like yeah. I was a TARDIS one year. <laughs> It was a very cute costume. Which is I great. was a TARDIS to, uh, yeah, his like Doctor which, Who. Which was doctor? Like, yeah, it was a sexy uh, a 10 because that's the, no, uh, 11, that's the easiest oh, bow tie. Okay, the bow tie and fez. and fez, yeah. That's very iconic, like easy yeah. to replicate. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah, I guess I'll just be the TARDIS. Like who else am I going to be? Like I can't be Clara, like wearing a dress with you boots and tights is not going to read well. A weeping angel. Um, oh, you, that's too much effort. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could have been went. Yeah, but a you're dog, right. Like, just just put a put a put a trash can over me and like roll around. <laughs> yeah, on, on some but you're right. You would have had to choose some sort of other alien because there weren't that many uh, female characters uh, when it comes to certain genre media, especially yeah. or or most. Yeah, it, it's 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 odd. So like, I I have been animals many times. Um, and uh, I was Katniss once before the movies came out. Um, dark hair, you know, in a braid, easy. Got a, got myself a bow and arrow. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel like oh my god, yeah, I haven't the done wor- that many. The worst is when you um are like committed to the cause and the the principle, and you dress up as an Asian character, but in an upcoming thing that no one knows about. <laughs> so one year I was Rose Tico. And right, granted, right. Star Wars came out in December, and this was October. I yeah. had the full outfit, I had the jumpsuit. Everyone's like, "What? What? What are you?" I'm like, "I'm Rose Tico." They're like, "Who?" Well, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Well, they found mm-hmm. out, I guess. Uh, yeah, it, th- and that's the other thing. It's like because there are still so few characters. It's like, do I? 
like Rose Tico, like I support her, but also I don't want to wear the full thing. Like that's just not going to be like I always now dress for comfort. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think like I guess it really would be Squid Game. Like I, I have my outfit already if if Halloween becomes a thing for me this year. I don't know. I still don't have plans. Oh, I, I got a gray Asian icon costume this year. Ooh. You're not going to reveal? I have to I have to watch your Instagram. Should I? Should I reveal? Should we reveal it for a closer to Halloween? Maybe. Marvin, it. you're the producer. Yeah. Okay, we could save it. Save it. But right. true icon, true Asian icon. <gasps> Interesting. I'm fat. <laughs> guess what it is. Should, uh, guess what it should is. I, yeah. like, should I just show like one piece a day and be like, <laughs> what am I going to be? Ooh. That would be funny. Oh. All First right. clue. First clue will be uh, white gloves. <laughs> well, this has been our discussion of Muppets Haunted Mansion and also apparently the airing of our Halloween traumas and grievances. <laughs> uh, Halloween as like a non-white kid is real tough, man. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. Like just as far as like ha- Halloween's past, but also maybe maybe I need to write a thing about Squid Game and how you're not supposed to, if like those people who are going to dress like these characters don't need to make Asian fi themselves. Ooh, man. <laughs> right? I yeah, just put on the tracks. You do that. not do anything else. Absolutely do not do anything else. Just put on the tracks. The fucking tracksuit. Yeah. That's fine. We will allow that. We will be generous that and makes allow sense. that. This has been your PSA. If you don't want to be eviscerated on social media, come Halloween. <laughs> Take care advice, please. Culture is not a costume, just a gentle reminder. Uh, all right. Well, Han, Jess, thank you for joining me for another great discussion on Good Pop. If people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at Just You Tweets. And I am at Anonymous. <laughs> you can find me at Marvin. You can find me at Marvin Yue, and you can find our podcast at Good Pop Club. Uh, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that's our episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on Good Pop. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.